Hey, if you have not been getting like updates, like about once a week or so, and you want to, um, just let me know, be sure that you get me your phone number. You can either just fill it out on the connect card connection card, and then either give it to myself or to drew or whatever. And then what we do is I just, I just send out updates about once a week or so, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. Uh, but if you want that, that just comes, comes right to me. And then I can just include you in that if you want to kind of get updates of things that are going on. So, um, but yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, it always is fun when you take a week off and you miss your family, right? If you, if you went away from your family and you're kind of like, oh, it's so good not to be with my family. That's not a really good sign. So, uh, I was, I was, it was kind of fun, like just anticipating coming back today and it's been, been good to be together. So, um, Hey, so I grew up a farm kid in Nebraska. We've talked about that before and went away for a while, went and did school and was a youth pastor for some years. And then I took a break from, from ministry for a couple of years and I went back to the family farm in Nebraska. I'm the youngest brother. So obviously I was the hired man, right? And so I got all the grunt jobs. And so my typical day, I would get incredibly, especially certain times of year, I would get incredibly, incredibly filthy. I mean, we're talking dirt. I'd be digging. It'd be wet. So I'd turn into mud and then get wet and dirty again. It'd be more mud. I did a lot of greasing on implements. And so I'd get grease all over my body. I don't know how it went there. And I don't know how so like my brothers could do it. And maybe it's because they never stopped doing it, but they could literally grease an entire like huge, you know, you know, half a million dollar piece of equipment and never get a drop of grease on them. I would come out looking like the thing, you know, like I'd like emerge out of the grease and stuff. Um, and then, and then there was like chemicals. We're talking herbicides, pesticides. I mean, if it was a chemical, chemical, it was on me. It was disgusting. I was terrible with taking care of myself. So, you know, that was not a good deal. Uh, so one of my favorite jobs ever was to crawl down into these pits where we would drive the semis across and you would open up and an entire semi loads of grain would empty in about 30 seconds into this gigantic 15 foot concrete pit in the ground. The problem was, is that even though we tried to weatherproof them as much as we could, there was always about three feet of water that would, what would fill it up. And so we'd try to clean out all the corn, but you know what happens when corn sits in water for about eight months it, it gets moonshine. Yeah. I think I got drunk just, just down there getting it on me. Right. And it was, it, the smell was just like, blech, right. It like, it was gross. You know, you got frogs and salamanders down there. It was disgusting and all this grease and grime and sweat. And then after the day I would come home and we lived in this old farmhouse that my brothers had. And, and uh, my typical day was I would go outside. I would literally hose myself off outside. Fortunately, our nearest neighbor was about a mile away. And so I would, I would strip almost all the way down, almost not completely. And I would like hose myself off. I'd try to hose my clothes off and I would just leave them on a pile to like kind of drain off a little bit. I go into the mud room. I would, I would try to wipe off even more. And then I would, I would carefully tiptoe through the house to our, to our bathroom where I would shower and I would scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. And, and, you know, sometimes when you are so filthy that you think you're clean and all of a sudden you're drying off and all of a sudden you hit a patch of grease that you missed to wipe off. And all of a sudden it's all over your towel. It's like, ah, I gotta get back in. Right. There was times where I would shower two or three times before I get totally clean. 
But once you feel clean, oh, the feeling, <laughs> right? You know exactly the feeling that I'm talking about. It's sort of like you feel human again. You can sit on the couch. You can walk through the house and not have your wife yell at you. You can, you can hug your kids. You can just anything, right? You feel clean. You feel just like, oh, everything is okay. But what if I got into this habit of going through that whole cleansing protocol and I got totally clean and it's sort of like, oh, that feels so good. And then I went right back outside, picked up my muddy, disgusting, BO smelling, dirt, grease stained clothing, and then put it all back on. It wouldn't make very much sense, would it? Think of the feeling like you think it was disgusting when you were in it, but then after you're out and you've been cleaned, all of a sudden now you're like, you know, I coach football and I live this every day because somehow high school boys do not smell their own BO. And, and you're in the huddle of 125 high school boys and their football pads and their helmets. And it's sort of like this. I'm not going to lie. One of my boys the other day, I'm going to throw you under the bus. I'm so sorry. He goes, dad, can I throw this shirt in the dryer? It's still wet. And I said, did you wash it? He goes, no, it's still sweaty from this morning. We were doing two days. I was like, no, no, it will literally have to bring in like hazmat suits and like detox this thing or just take it up, take it outside, full of full of Tannerite and blow it up. Right. Like either either one would be the only acceptable option. But that's what we do. And that's the image. That's the feeling. That's the smell. That's the, the ugh, guttural response that the Apostle Paul wants us to process today. Why would we ever go back to wearing our stinky, disgusting, rotten clothes after being cleaned? Now, the Bible stays away from lists, right? A lot of times we're kind of like, oh, the Bible's a list of do's and notes. No, it's not. If you're reading it that way, you're not reading it right. If you've been taught that way, you haven't been taught right. It is a narrative. It is a story. It is a love letter. It is so powerful. It's alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, right? It's something that we have to study from all the different angles, and it never stops refreshing its newness in our hearts and our minds. However, today, in Colossians 5, uh, sorry, Colossians 3, uh, verses 5 through 17, guess what? We see two lists. And so because the lists aren't the norm, they're kind of the exception to the norm, all of a sudden, here's these two lists. We really need to look at it. We need to pay attention to why would Paul all of a sudden go into list mode? And so we want to dig in this morning. We want to look closely at why there are two lists and what makes these two lists. Now, I'm not going to bore you with, with, uh, with the, Greek, the Greek for every single one, but this was written in Greek, right? And so part of the, the process of really deeply studying the Bible is going to the original language and to say, what did these words mean then? And what do they mean now? And I don't want to butcher them because I have a master's degree and it's been a lot of years since I pronounced Greek words. So we'll just, I want you to think I'm smart. That's, that's what I'm going at, right? So um, we're just going to look at the definition. So this morning's a little bit different. We're just going to read through it and we're going to talk about it and then we're going to unpack it at the end. All right, here we go. You can follow along in your phone, in your Bible or up here. Um, but we're going to be reading from Colossians chapter three, verses five through 17. List number one. So put to death, that word put to death literally means kill, put to death, or another use of it is to take off, right? Shed it, throw it away, 
get rid of it, burn it, incinerate it, right? So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. He starts off right the gate, right out the gate with this, with this word sexual immorality. Basically, sexual immorality is anything outside of God's design, his standard for sex. Okay. Here's the thing. What does God care about sex? What right does he have to, de- to, to control my sex? That's my sex, right? I get to define it. I get to say what it is, what it isn't, what I think it is, what I'm going to do. He created it. And creators get to determine what their creations do, what they're used for, what their function is, how, how we understand it, right? If we want to understand something, we need to go to the one who created it. And so, yes, God designed this. He gave us the gift of sex and sexuality. And so he designed it with a purpose. It's a gift that he gives us. And, and you wouldn't want, you know, if all of a sudden, let's say that Amy gave Chris this incredible, incredible, beautiful guitar. And she goes, babe, I, I, you're such a good guitar player. And here's this beautiful guitar player. And you probably spent like 50, 60 bucks on it. So it was sort of like zero, 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 zero. <laughs> And she goes, this is a gift because I love you. I love watching you play and you're so talented. You're so good. And and Chris says, sweet, let's go outside and chop wood. Is that a loving way to accept a gift? No, Chris, we were just talking about you. So thanks. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? We've been given a beautiful, beautiful gift, but yet we go out and we misuse and abuse it all the time. We need to go to the creator of that gift and to honor him with it. And so right out the the gate, Paul says, stay away from the evil things lurking inside, inside of you like sexual immorality. Number two, impurity. Impurity is basically any unclean thing. Lust. Lust, the word lust basically means passion that afflicts your heart and mind. It's not just, woo, smoking hot, on to the next thing. It's, it's, ooh, smoking hot. I can't get it out of my head. Oh my gosh, I can't. I wake up and I think about it. I, I go to bed and I'm thinking about it. I think about it all day long and it afflicts our head and our mind and our, our heart. And we just obsess about it. We just lust and lust and lust and lust. He says, be careful of that. And evil desires. Evil desires is basically craving something that is forbidden. We crave, we desire something that is evil. And then he says, don't be greedy. Now, this is kind of interesting because notice these first four have to do with sex and sexuality, right? And then he throws in greed. Well, if you understand, you can be greedy in a sexual way. Because greed is basically this. It's constantly wanting more. It's never being satisfied, never getting enough. We're obsessed with it. We must have it, right? We're controlled by this. And so he's so don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Now it's kind of interesting that Paul starts off the way he does, right? And he equates sex and sexuality and sexual things to idols. Now here's the thing with idols. What do we do with idols? We worship them. We obsess about them. We, we, we submit, we surrender to that idol. And then what do we do out of that worship and that we sacrifice, we sacrifice. And so Paul says, don't worship 
and sacrifice to this gift that I gave you. And now all of a sudden you've turned it into your God. An idol is when a gift becomes a God, right? And so it's easy to see how our world, how our culture idolizes, worships, serves, surrenders to, and sacrifices to the altar of sex and sexuality. Think about the messages that we're bombarded with all the time. This is what defines you. This is what you, this and this and this. And we're being so bombarded, it's, it's insane, right? And how often do we step back and say, God, what do you have to say about all of this? Now, the problem is that these things start to compete with God. It's easy to see when, when these kind of things takes precedence um, over when the gift takes precedence over the giver. God no longer has the right to define or, or to determine what he created. Verse 9, because of these things, the anger of God is coming. We don't like to talk about the anger of God. We don't like to talk about God's wrath, right? I might as well be out on the, on the, on the, on the street with a, with a placard, you know, God's anger is coming because you're so dumb, right? Like, like I don't want to come across like that. But yet the reality is that God is a holy God. He's just, he's sovereign. And, and he doesn't like it when idols try to compete with him. Read through the Bible. Idols don't really do well against the creator of all things. Now, here's the thing. Nobody likes it when people get angry, but sometimes that wrath, sometimes that anger is the most loving response that God can have. God hates anything that hurts his people, his creation. God hates it when something tries to defile or to destruct or to corrupt or to pull his loved creation away from him. That is sometimes the most loving response that we can have. If someone would start coming up to Nicole and, and mistreating her verbally, physically, sexually, anything like that, you think I would just be like, oh, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I said, Jesus loves you, but I am going to like, like, nah, right? Like, we were talking about this before. I don't want to be violent, but I've, I've sinned for lesser causes, right? Um, okay, so, but if she was being defiled and I'm just kind of like, oh, maybe that maybe, that's not loving. I must not love her if I'm not angry about that. Don't you want a God that loves you and pursues you and cares for you? And we'll, we sing these songs. He won't stop till he, till he saves you. He, he loves you. He pursues you. That's the power of our God. His anger at anything that defiles us is actually a sign of his love. And we should run to that kind of love. Then Paul goes on to a second set of lists within this first list, right? The first five was that, and now the second five are kind of more of socially disgusting clothing items that we need to take off and burn. Verse 7, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world, but now is the time to get rid of anger. Wait a minute, you just said anger is good. Well, look at the language. This kind of anger is a human anger. It's an emotionally driven, violently impulsive, hot temper, not loving, selfish kind of anger. 
He says, get rid of that kind of hot temper, right? And then he says, the second one is rage. Rage, the word for rage is like a glowing, red hot anger. It's a boiling over. It's an out of control. Malicious behavior. Malicious behavior is basically ill will and desire to injure someone else. Slander. Speaking ill with the intent to harm one's name. And dirty language. Okay, here's the funny thing. I'm reading through this and it gets the dirty language. And I'm kind of like, come on, come on, right? I mean, I push the limits and walk over the limits sometimes, right? Is that's what's going on? Guys, this, I'm going to nerd out here. I'm going to try to just rein it in. The phrase for dirty language is a whole rabbit hole of itself. I'm going to try to give it to you in just like a minute or two. The word for dirty image, uh, for, for dirty language is, is, is this Greek word called iskrologia. Iskrologia. Now that word comes from the Greek word iskros, which means shameful, ugly, and logos, which means speech, ordering principle, wisdom, doctrine, governing force. So basically he says, stay away from when this disgusting governing vulgar this 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 the governing force of your life is this vulgar shameful ugliness it's 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 more than just saying oh fart fart right like like it's more than that it's when this governing force is vile and disgusting and shameful but it goes much deeper you see this word actually comes from a type of comedy that was famous in the athenian culture and the greek culture because they had all their gods and goddesses, and there was the goddess called Demeter. And Demeter, um, her daughter, was kidnapped by the god Hades, and he took her to him with to Hades. And so she was like, you know, I mean, wouldn't you want your god to be like, oh, no, my daughter was kidnapped. Where? And she, I can't find her. That's not a very big god, is it? But in that culture, that's the way they define that, right? And so she's out looking for her daughter. And she comes across this old lady. And the old lady thought, hey, I can cheer her up. I'm going to cheer her up by being incredibly crass, incredibly rude, incredibly vulgar. I'm going to insult her. I'm going to get her to laugh at men. I'm going to get her to do incredibly perverted and disgusting things. And so what happened was that this legend grows about the Demeter cult in, 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 in Greece where where they would literally have these plays and festivals. Now, the first several festivals were actually all women, okay? And the women were invited into these festivals, these temples, these ex experiences, where they used the iskrologia type of humor. And that was like, that was the kind of the humor. And, and some of the characteristics where they bashed men, they ridiculed men, especially in a sexual nature. And you can use your imagination with that, right? Like they were totally anti-man and masculinity. And, and they were incredibly uh, vulgar. They were incredibly like, like it was, it was really bad. And then these priestesses would go around and they would provoke the women during their worship gatherings to have affairs with, with men. Well, men are just nothing anyhow. So just go do what you want with them with each other at these festivals. And then they had like images and other objects around there that they would say, go crazy. I'm gonna leave it there.
Another festival that used this type of comedy, this type of humor, included both men and women, and they would ride boats into Athens. And every village that they would go by, they would, they would expose themselves and taunt the people on the shores, and they would insult them, and they would make fun of them, and they would just do incredibly rude things. And, and, and they would say, now come join us. You think that kind of marketing worked? 700,000 people would come every year to these festivals. Can you imagine what happens at those festivals? Guys, that is the picture that Paul wants us to understand. That is, the, we think we have it bad today. Can you imagine what they would have done with social media? Can you imagine what they were? I mean, that was happening 2,000 years ago. And that's the reality that Paul was speaking into. And he says, don't let this incredibly vulgar thing. Here's the thing. We still have scripts from the comedy routines. And, and there is no way that I would ever read it here. Like, it's, it's, it's incredible, the stuff that was saying. I mean, it, it would make Howard Stern blush. If you're a certain age, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Paul is saying, don't. Let your life be consumed and defined by that kind of grossness. Don't let it control you. And then Paul continues. He says, don't lie. Don't deceive. Don't speak falsely to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Then he says, put on your new nature and be renewed, that word be renewed means to be made literally new, to be changed, to be transformed, to become night and day different. As you learn to know your creator and become like him, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in each of us. Now, the interesting thing, he uses these labels that were popular in their culture to define who you were, to put you in your place. And, and for some people, it was a source of shame and exclusion. For other people, it was a source of pride. And like, well, I'm this, and so you can't touch me, right? Do we see that today? We're seeing the same thing play out today. And so, so Paul says, if Jesus is in us and he lives in us, his spirit fills us, all the titles explode. All the titles are gone. You are a follower of Jesus. He is the organizational force in your life. He replaces everything else. All the titles that we want to put in front of Jesus in our lives are dethroned. All those idols are smashed on the cross. Jesus is what matters. Verse 12, since God chose you, that's what I love about adoption, is that, is that some religions say, oh, we're, you know, especially this happened a lot in Greek culture because these, this God and this God is hooked up and then have these kids and now here we are, right? And, and, and we can see that today in certain religions and things like that. But no, God chose us. We aren't a result of some carnal moment. He chooses us. He adopts us as his children. 
And what does he adopt us? When we're adopted, we take on a new name, a new identity. The old is gone and we become something new. And what does he make us? He makes us holy. We're a holy people. That word holy means pure, blameless, set apart. Because he adopted us, because he chooses us, he loves us. So we must clothe ourselves with, here's the second list, tenderhearted mercy. In other words, that's compassion. We need to be compassionate. Kindness. Kindness is integrity. It's good intentions towards others. We are, we are for other peoples, right? Humility. Humility is basically having a humble opinion of oneself. It's having a sense of one's smallness in life. That kind of flies in the face of, of, I'm a special snowflake. Well, yes, you are, but you're still a snowflake, right? Like, get over yourself. We're all snowflakes. But we need to have a sense of our place and then have realization of where we fit into the grander scheme of things, especially with our creator. Gentleness. Gentleness is basically having a mild disposition. It's meekness. It, think about the people that you gravitate to. Yeah, it's fun to gravitate to people that are kind of like, yeah, I'm amazing. Don't you want to be one of my inside crew, right? And then all of a sudden you realize I'm just here because I make them look good. And then as soon as I outlove my usefulness, I'm kicked to the curb. Whereas people that are, that are uh, gentle and have that meekness about them is sort of like, you actually notice me. I actually matter to you. That's incredible. I feel safe with you. I feel welcome with you. That's what Paul is saying. Put that kind of clothing on. And then patience. Patience is endurance, steadfastness, perseverance, long-suffering, constant, slow to anger, Verse 13, then he says, make allowance for each other's faults. Be, be gracious with each other. Bear with each other. Sustain each other. When you're weak, we can help you. When you mess up, we're there to help you. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive. A lot of times we struggle to forgive other people because we have a sense of justice that's twisted in our head because I've never messed up before. And so I have the right to judge you because you messed up. I just turned a blind eye to my own failures, didn't I? So Paul's kind of like, hey, you got to forgive because guess what? You're forgiven. So just keep that in mind. Forgive one another the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive, pardon, restore, release others. Verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love. That word love, there's a lot of different meanings to love, but this word love is the agape sense. It is unconditional. It is sacrificial. It is a goodwill for the other person. It's being for each other. And he says that, that love, that agape love, binds us all together. That is talking about ligaments keeping the body functioning, right? And he says, make sure that that love is what controls our body. He says, in perfect harmony. Now, CJ's not here this morning, but a lot of you know CJ, high school girl, she tore out her ACL. What happens is that the, the, the muscles are trying to do something and the bones are trying to do something else because the ligaments aren't connected. And so it's not harmonious. It doesn't work together. It's kind of like if all of a sudden uh, the whole band was in a different key and, and was doing their own thing. There's no harmony in that. But they listen to that same key. And so now all of a sudden we're all playing different notes, but they're in harmony together. It's a beautiful thing. Very peaceful, verse 15. And let the peace 
That word peace means tranquility, safety, prosperity, absence of war. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let that message, let that message about Christ. Now the word message, guess where we go back to here? Logos. Let the logos of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So let's step back from this passage and let's get the lists, let's get the two lists, a side-by-side comparison here. The first one, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, vulgarity, lies, wickedness. What's the result? Big consequences. God's anger, God's wrath. He's not okay with this because it hurts us. It hurts us. It makes us hurt each other. It makes us use each other. The other day at the gym, there was this guy that was wearing a shirt that says, porn kills love. And I go up, I said, please keep wearing that shirt. We need to hear it more and more and more. Jesus is not okay with the things that hurt us and make us hurt each other. Think about this life. Let's play the movie out on this, right? If we serve this, if this is the logos, the controlling force of our lives, what are we going to do to each other? We're going to use each other. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to turn on each other. It's going to get nasty real quick. That's not a life that we want to live. That's not how we want to treat each other. And does this reflect Jesus and his message to us? But then let's contrast with the other side. What happens when Jesus and his gospel, the good news of Jesus and salvation and forgiveness and love, all those things are the logos, the controlling organizational force in our lives, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, camaraderie, forgiveness, unconditional sacrificial love, unity and harmony, peace, thankfulness, wisdom, worship, and realizing that we are representatives of Jesus. What happens when those become the organizational force in our lives? Transformation, new life, freedom, purpose, direction, meaning, identity. When you look at it like this, it's almost like going outside and picking up your disgusting old clothes, right? It's so obvious when you look at that. Because now all of a sudden we're here for each other. How can we help each other? How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I support you? How can I honor you? How can I? And I love how he says, above all else, put on love. Because when we love, it's like yesterday at the wedding, we looked at, at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, love is not da-da-da-da. If we're loving, we toss away all this other yucky stuff. And if we love, we're going to do all these other things. Now, if you've ever heard this passage taught in a shame on you, you're this and you're that and don't do this and don't do that, I'm so sorry. Because that's not the way that Paul intended it. If this passage has ever brought you shame, that's not the heart of it. It can bring us guilt, but there's a difference between guilt and shame. You see, guilt is the warning light on the dash of our heart, of our lives. When something's wrong, We need to know it. And we can have guilt that's kind of like, oh, I feel sick right now. 
listen to that. Guilt is a warning light that says something is wrong with your car. Shame is believing that that warning light says that your car is no good. See the difference? Shame is from Satan. Guilt can be from God. Guilt is a, motivational, is, a, is a motivator that moves us towards change. If I just keep on, if I put the, the, the happy face sticker over the check engine light on my car, what do you think is going to happen after a while? I don't know what happened. I never saw the light. It's because we closed our eyes. No, 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 no. I don't, you don't exist, right? We need to listen to that. We need to go do something about it. Shame is buying the lie that you are no good. But guess what? God chose you. God loves you. God died for you because he loves you. And so shame has no place in the Christian's life, in the Christian's heart, in the Christian's mind. So if you've ever been, been like, okay, and here's the things that I see you doing, and, and oh, now you got to make yourself better, Jesus already did it. That's the beauty of the cross. We surrender ourselves to the cross of Jesus. He's, he died to set us free, and we get to walk in that peace, in that freedom, in that, in that forgiveness, in that new identity, in that new meaning, that new purpose. When we look at these lists, let's go closet number uh, on the left, right? Closet number one, that's your wardrobe. Do you want to wear that? Or do you want to wear the wardrobe on the right? It's pretty, it's pretty obvious, right? So then the question is, is realizing that as Christ's representative, how often am I still digging out the dirty laundry from the left? Are we, are we excusing that pile at the bottom of our closet? Are we going out to the trash bin and saying, no, 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 I'm not willing to get rid of that one yet because I still like that. It's, it's not that bad. It's not that disgusting. And, and, and I'm going to hold on to that still. Are we holding on? Have we gone through the wardrobe upgrade? Are we still holding on to some stuff that God has said, get rid of that, throw it in the trash, incinerate it? So what are you wearing? How is God, how has he, or how does he want to upgrade your wardrobe? When we find ourselves wearing stuff that is not honoring to God, what are we willing to do about it? Are we willing to, to take an inventory of ourselves and to take this list and say, ah, oh, I kind of feel like I'm this and this and this. Are we willing to take that to Jesus and to say, Jesus, thank you so much for your freedom, for your forgiveness. I just, I confess, I'm so sorry. I want to experience the fullness and the goodness of a life that you have to give. I can speak from experience, putting on the old clothes. Probably do it way more than I'd like to admit. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't, it doesn't wear very well. But it's so easy to do. But I can tell you that when we start to let God dress us in his clothing, in his purity, in his love, in his direction, it's a heck of a lot more free. Instead of worrying about, oh, what are people going to think? What are it? I don't care. You might think I'm wearing something goofy, but you know what? God, God led me in this freedom, right? He loves me and I can be free. I can be fun. It is so much more fun to live that kind of a life than to be stuck with the dirty stuff. So this week, you have a list. 
they have the lists on, on your, on your cards. I want to invite you to just read through that, to pray through that. And again, if you feel shame creeping into your heart, into your mind, surrender that to Jesus. Say, if I'm feeling like kind of a pain of like, Oh, Oh man, I need to, I need to change that. Lean into that. But if you start to feel like, well, there is no hope. Don't listen to that. Take that to Jesus and know that Jesus has already won the victory for us. And these things are always better when we don't do it alone. If you have somebody in your life, a spouse, a friend, a parent, uh, uh, whatever, don't go it alone. We can all use a running partner. We can all use somebody who can give us a second set of eyes, an encouragement, a challenge, a swift kick in the rear when we need one, right? But that's why God designed us to be together as a family, because he doesn't want us to go this alone. And when we really reflect this, people are going to notice people are going to say, why is your marriage the way it is? Why do you treat people? Why are you different at work? Why are you this way? Why are you that way? And we get to say, Jesus, want to meet him? God wants us to be his representatives in every aspect of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. God, just recognize that it seems so simple and easy on paper. And when we look at these things, we can see it more clear. But when we leave here and we start going back to the old things, God, it's, it gets a little bit muddier. God, I pray that your spirit inside of us would just listen to that. God, that you would motivate us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us to be transformed. God, if there's any areas of our lives, any, any behaviors, any, any things we're doing or saying or, or, or just giving ourselves to that doesn't honor you, God, I pray that we would just recognize how it's, it's not a passive, innocent thing. It's actually drawing us away from you, that it's, it's trying to control us. God, you gave us freedom because you want us to be free. God, help us to grow in that, to learn that, to experience the fullness of that. And so God, help us just to surrender these things. God, we want to reflect you. We want to reflect your goodness, your love, your mercy, your transformation, your change. God, if any of us are kind of fighting or resisting, what your spirit's revealing to us right now. And God, just help us to remember that you are more powerful. If there's things that we have become so attached to, any old dirty items of clothes that we just don't want to get rid of, God, help us to see the consequences of not doing that. But God, greater than saying no, God, help us to see how good the yes is. That when we surrender our lives to you, Father, when we surrender our lives to you, that we get to see your fullness. We get to experience joy and peace in all these things that you've promised us. God, just work in us, transform us. 
God, help us to live out your good news. Praise in your name.